Hello and welcome to the Sellerman Podcast with me, Sam Wilkin. This time I'm speaking to, well, we hear Andy Swinsko describe him later in the podcast as a bit of a cult hero. And, and he is. He is a cult cheesemaker. He makes the wonderful St. James um, a raw milk, spontaneously fermenting uh, sheep's milk washed rind cheese up in Cumbria on his farm. Um, he's a really engaging guy, really interesting, uh, speaks incredibly well about the situation now and the, the state of his business and what he's looking forward to doing in the future. But just, uh, yeah, sit back and listen to Martin speak. He's great. Enjoy. Yeah, we're good. I mean, we're, we're getting on with sort of lots of farm jobs outside. Um, we've got a lot of sheep. This time of year is a busy time of year for us anyway, because we turn stock out to grass for the first time. Um, and if anything, that we've, we've sort of had to uh, get more stock outside sooner than we would normally, uh, partly because the weather's so good, but partly because obviously our feed bill when animals are inside is, is one of our biggest expenses. Okay. So as cheesemakers looking at a relatively uh, sort of small income for the next couple of months, um, the best thing we can do is get as much, you know, as many animals out to grass as we can. And so pretty much, well, we haven't got a single animal inside now. So this slightly warmer spring is actually to, to your advantage in a sense, is it? Yeah, this warm weather just meant that we can get on and get some jobs done. But also, um, yeah, there's a bit of grass around and, uh, you know, it's just kind of, yeah, it, it, it's funny because we, we always try hard to get stock outside at this time of year. But um, but yeah, having that sort of very acute cash flow <laughs> concerns makes you a bit more focused, you know, <laughs> focuses the mind a bit more, should we say. So yeah, so that's what we've been busy with. Um, and I'll be honest, the cheese side, we're still making every day. So Niall's in the dairy at the moment and Niall uh, works with us. He's making St. James today, which is the third batch of St. James for probably five weeks. So we've been making a hard cheese or harder cheese. Um, for since since pretty much uh, the kind of covid outbreak was announced um so that we've got cheese that we're putting we're putting the stock on the shelf but we're not under any pressure to sell it so we we need jerked to to stop st james production so we didn't end up with old tired soft st james um and actually probably overshot a little bit because we're getting phone calls now as things are starting to pick up uh, for cheese and we're probably going to be a little bit short of st james to sell for the next couple of weeks so kind of in this really really bizarre point where we've got cheese but not the right cheese it's a really difficult judgment to make that isn't it i'm hearing that from other people as well that obviously i guess the date that people seem to be focusing on is that friday the 13th of march we'd sort of stopped just before i mean we were kind of like yeah pretty knee-jerk um so we'd stopped st jay's production on the monday before that you know so um mm. we kind of which meant yeah just a week ahead of that sort of announcement we were we, we kind of got the sense that things were going to go the wrong way um, and we had uh, this is a really you know peak production for us nearly is this next sort of two months so there was a lot of cheese to uh, stake so we figured that you know whatever happened we could always sell hard cheese down the line but if we wasted the product you don't get a second bite of the cherry you know it's like it was important to us just to preserve the, the raw ingredient really preserve the milk you know that's what cheese making is in essence is preserving milk so that was our first and foremost concern um, but obviously now it has left us you know a little bit short of cash but also short cheese. There's other people who made the same judgment and got stuck in the same position who've um, soft cheese producers particularly who sort of pulled the plug on production. For us, we had to keep making, so we've carried on making cheese. We just haven't got softer cheeses. So. so I suppose it's worth just sort of highlighting a major difference between certain types of cheesemakers for people listening. Obviously, they're your animals. They need milking, and particularly at this time of the year where they're producing, you know, the majority of their quality milk, you need to keep doing something with the milk. So rather than pouring it away, you're making cheese. Some cheesemakers are in a position where they're buying a small proportion of a herd's output from another farmer. 
And so they've actually almost been able to mothball their their businesses, but they're not making cheese at all. So when it comes round again and you can sell cheese, do you think that puts you in a sort of a stronger position? It's yeah, again, it's, it, you know, it's, it swings around about us. So from our point of view, our production is finite. You know, there is um, our capacity is the capacity of our animals to produce milk. So if we make cheese with this milk now, then we can sell it later on. But when, you know, the, the crisis is over come September, you know, or, or whenever it happens, um, those people who are only buying a small proportion of the farmer's milk will be able to increase their production mm-hmm. um, again to fill the new market. You know, the new demand can be filled. Whereas for us, it's too late then. We've got to wait till the following season before we can increase our production again. So on the one hand, yes, we will have more stock to sell when this is ultimately when this is over. Um, on the other hand, once our stock's sold and gone, we don't have a second chance to sell it, you know. So it, it's, it, I think it swings and roundabouts. I don't think, um, you know, either one is particularly, um, you know, sort of better place to be than the other. I think all businesses in this are going to face their own challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the only thing, yeah, for us is that we're going to carry the costs of that production. So with us being a farm producer, um, we have to still feed the animals, like you said. Whereas if you're if you're buying the milk, from a farm you've got the option of stopping buying which does mean you can stem some of the outgoing costs um you know by start by stopping production whereas for us those outgoing costs are just built in that they're going to keep going out whether we're in production or not you know um so that's the i guess that's the difference really uh, have you, have uh, you there's no furlough for our sheep for food you know <laughs> are you looking at mo- moving on animals at all i mean i know i heard from somebody that jasper hill in in the states have actually sold their herd as a response to it which seems pretty drastic really you know sort of weighing up did they want to just just pour loads yeah. of milk down the drain or or, or sell their animals and i, I mean, don't know if that yeah we we've been we we started ironically st james was going to celebrate his 50 or he's going to celebrate his 15 year birthday this year mm. so the cheese is 15 years old you know uh, which means our sheep flock is about 16 years old mm. um and that's that flock of sheep we've been building and, and trying to increase our numbers and and manage that flock for 16 years, which is kind of my whole work in life, nearly. You know, so the idea that we part with those animals now and seek to replace them, you know, is it's just an impossible, you know, sort of question. If we if we parted with these animals now, we wouldn't replace them. You know, we we um, I think that would be a like like a once in a, a sort of gener- you know, once in a sort of. That's a final decision. So, yeah, that's that's yeah. a decision to stop farming and be cheesemakers. And I think that, you know, it's, some people might feel that's the best thing to do. For us, it, the, the, the two aren't, aren't, aren't able to be separated. We're either farmers making cheese or we're, or we're, or we're doing something different, you know. Um, it's, it, we're, yeah, we're very much tied to our livestock and to our, you know, to our farm, basically. You know, our product, St. James, is, we, never, we, we don't buy milk to produce St. James. We only use our own sheets milk. Um, and well, a lot of people ever, understand St. James to be a, a product of our farm rather than a cheese. Well, I think that's why, who is it, uh, meant, said the other, I mean, I think Andy may have actually used the word cult, cult status. Um, and I guess in a sense, that's sort of a du- double-edged sword. It's sort of, it's an implied uh, badge of quality, um, but it's also, it's it's perhaps a little, you know, it's niche in a sense. And I think we were talking at the time a little bit about this sort of big boom in online sales. And I know that a lot of sort of cheese online, you know, businesses that are set up as online cheese sellers, they want to be able to sell a product in many ways. It's easier for them where they can have one tasting description for a cheese and they can pretty much that's what they expect to get. And the wonderful thing about St. James is that it is an absolute representation of a place, but not just a place, but a place in time as well. So 
you know, different batches of St. James will have their own characteristics. So for someone like Andy, when he's serving a customer over the counter, he can actually have that interaction and explain the differences. Whereas for an online seller, that's quite a tricky thing to pull off. I think the way we're so connected now, you know, I look at sort of like who follows us on, on Instagram and who, who, who engages with our social media. And I think, you know, people can have a little snapshot as to what we're about. Mm. And, um, and I think more than ever for a business like ours, people kind of buy into what we do. It's the, it's the, the ethos of, do they believe that we're honest, that we're doing things the best way we think we can? Um, yeah. They're buying into this, this sort of vision that they're supporting a cheese making, uh, you know, this farm cheese making idea. And I think that that, Obviously, the cheese has got to be good. You know, I think we've, we've been around long enough. We wouldn't send cheese out if it wasn't good. Um, I think once upon a time, we probably did. <laughs> you know, when we were starting out 15 years ago, maybe everything that left the dairy wasn't as good as it should be. But I think now we, we sort of enjoy the quality uh, reputation that we have. And so we want to send cheese out that's, that's good or great. Um, but that will it be different from week to week? Yeah, probably. Um, but I think, like I say, people are buying into that, that sort of, yeah, what we're about, what we're, what we're trying to do. And I think that social media makes it easier to tell that story. So perhaps people who are searching out things, different experiences, different foods, um, and to, to support a, a small farm enterprise like ours, I, I feel as though we've, we've actually got, um, you know, it's kind of on our side, the, the, the internet's on our side in that, in that space. Have you seen a, a growth in interest then in that particular realm, if you like? Because people are you know the the way wholesalers have kind of opened up to hold deli- home delivery and and lots of you know cheese makers are doing direct sales now which you know i know from dave jowett is a massive headache you know he'd rather just be sending out six large orders a week rather than you know 600 obviously but you know you do it because you have to but what that does is it kind of grows interest and excitement around these sort of small scale local you know made with love and care products are you seeing a growth of interest about your specific product i think that's that's an interesting word the, the locals are a key, an interesting word or keyword here so we're if you've ever visited us we are um you know in one of the most sparsely populated counties in the country um it's a two mile track down to our farm at the end of it you'll find us and we've got two neighbors that live up on the farm um we're not we're not going to ever have a huge local base. In fact, the area where we live and operate is really a tourist hotspot that's been virtually shut down through, um, you know, through the uh, COVID. So, so in terms of our local market, yeah, we've got a few local customers who are keen to support us, and you know, where where people know the product, they're they're working hard to get their their share of it, and I get regular updates from super fans, you know, our sort of um, friends who, who love St James and they're buying it when when they can. Um, but ultimately, for us, we we based our business outside of the county for those reasons. We've we've always sold into, you know, London, the South East, Manchester. We've got a cheese stall in Altering, and we've always been focused around sort of more urban areas, really. You know, and sending the cheese to where people really appreciate and want it. So typically, we've always sent to cheese shops and you know specialist cheese shops at like that. Um, so I, I think for that, it's a little bit difficult. The idea that we do a local delivery service, you know, we we could uh, and we would, but whether we do enough to pay the diesel on the van by the time we've got out the end of the lane and back yeah. <laughs> it's a bit of a question but i think I, I making, I mean, I've... sending deliveries out is tricky as well again yeah. just for the fact that we're in an isolated rural business we are a long way from from anywhere um so actually i've preferred where i can we're, we're probably one of the last cheese makers uh, who haven't put an online store up on our website and actually that's because i'd rather send that business to my retailers to the people who reset resell us our product you know the, the andy swinscoe 
the Neil's Yard Dairy, you know, those, those are my customers and, and they need support just as much as we do. So if people are going to buy our cheese, I'd much rather they bought it, you know, on its own or as part of a selection, whatever, um, but that they were supporting the retailers too. So um, yeah. it's kind of our, our model won't, won't work in this isolated part of the world without those little retailers. So the idea that in this time we'd sort of um, sell direct yeah it doesn't that doesn't suit me you know no i guess there's a there's a sort of a short-term gain but you know you've got to be very careful i was actually speaking to a cider maker yesterday and they were thinking of starting to do direct sales but the the real concern that they had was well how do we price it i mean they can afford to price it much lower than their usual you know retailers would but actually that's not that that's a that's a plan with very little lifespan like you said that price goes along the chain you know Um, and it's the work and the value that people create so i'm I'm under no illusion if you buy my cheese from neil's yard or the courtyard dairy you know that's going to be better than what we than we send out here you know quite often we send cheese to two people where they mature it they select it they grade it you know they work with it and um and they handle it and they store it properly and then also the customer service that goes with it you know um, you've ju- we've just had a perfect example this morning of what happens when you try to reach an isolated sheep farm in Cumbria at 11 o'clock. Uh, you know, yeah. The Wi-Fi doesn't work, the phone doesn't work. You know, well, uh, you're I'm looking to catch me because I was just about yeah. to jump on a tractor and I remember that they were here. So it kind of, it's a different model. So actually customer service is key and that we, it's hard for us to be in production on our scale, farming, making cheese, doing all the day-to-day jobs and then deliver a really high level of customer service you know i, I kind of think it's unrealistic at our scale to do that so um it's not to say that we couldn't be a bigger business and we could accommodate that if we were or actually maybe if we stopped farming we could focus on customer service instead but our customer service is, is really telling our story to the people who eat the cheese uh, and then providing customer service to the people who who are in the middle you know like the retailers and, and trying to make sure that they they've got our cheese to stock you know yeah, there's a reason why it works the way it works. I think, you know, I think I think local is a really interesting word, though. And it's a conversation I've had with a few people now about what it what it's increasingly meaning is that it, it feels like local has always been ascribed to a geographical locality, whereas now it's almost like if, say, I'm buying some Baron Bygod from Fen Farm Dairy, they're not local to me. I live in East London, um, but I am by buying that from them or by buying a cheese, say, from Neil's Yard, I'm supporting a local community and i think the cheese industry's done really well at telling that story that it's not you're not just buying something delicious you're buying into the idea of supporting a local community that that needs your you know needs your money to keep going essentially yeah i've got a good friend john throp uh, from mons and um he said to me years ago you know the best answer i've ever had there's no millionaires between between the cheesemaker and the customer you know there's just these people along the line um who all sort of you know, do their bit, if you like, you know, and they all make a little bit of money as it goes along. Um, so, you know, kind of it supports this whole community. But yeah, there isn't some big, you know, multinational, you know, Bezos type character um, who's making all the margin. And I feel that that's what we've got to remember is that, yeah, support the small cheesemakers, sure. But if you really want to support them, you better make sure there's some retailers when all this is over, because without yeah. that network of cheese retailers, then you, know, you might as well forget the cheese makers anyway. You know? So, so the plan down the line, you, you've sort of massively spaced out your St. James production. You're making a hard cheese. Is that crook wheel? Yeah, so we've, we've, we've kind of wanted to do it for a while. And we always said any surplus milk we have in the summer, we'd start experimenting with hard cheese. And we've, we've had very little to experiment with. So crook wheel has been a kind of 
development R&D cheese for about the last three or four years. Uh, and it's had all sorts of different shapes, sizes, you know, iterations. Um, but this year we've had to sort of put quite a chunk of milk into it. So, um, so yeah, it's just a, a sort of tweak on a kind of Tom style recipe. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a one-off, I guess. We just take some parameters and play around with those things we can in the cheese that, um, you know, just, just hands on on physically what we can manipulate. We might, if this continues, if it looks like it's going to be a long-term lockdown, we might have to commit some stock to, you know, some very hard cheeses, which, which will be a tweak again. Um, so there might be more than one new cheese comes out of this crisis, you know? Um, but yeah, for the now, we, we're just turning this extra milk into, or this, not extra milk, but this milk into crook wheel. So that's the part, I don't know if you noticed the hum that just disappeared in the background. That's the milking parlor that just, we're just finished the cleaning cycle for the morning for the parlor. So it's a bit quieter in there now. There you are. It's all good to have a bit of ambient to tell the story, Martin. Um, um, so, so let's look to the future, I suppose. I mean, we don't know, you know, when that can start. We're in this peculiar sort of uh, limbo stasis where people are still having to do what they do, but with no sort of end in sight. Let's say things do go back to something like normal. Will you? Do you think you'll you will have changed as a business, or do you think you will just sort of, you know, try and next next spring get St James out and and maybe do the you know handful of these harder cheeses can you see what that future is going to look like or are you just sort of surviving at the moment you know yeah like I say St James is 15 years old this year um so as long as we're still in business we'll keep making St James you know there'll be there'll be no shift from that really as our key key product these other cheeses this other sort of recipe development and cheeses that we're making it'll be really interesting to see how they go and how you know how they evolve but you know we the, the sheep we're milking now have been, you know, started their breeding 15 years ago. And even the sheep the lamb this year, some of those we kept as lambs two years ago to milk them now. So we kind of made decisions, you know, the, the, the pastures that we're grazing, we started working on the walling and the fencing in September. That's the pastures we're grazing now in April. You know, it's like these cycles for us, if it's September, October, cash flow is a, re a real problem for us. Yeah. But in terms of our, our farming what can we really affect we we wanted to have more more of an outside more extensive system anyway and we're going to probably it's going to make it easier to transition to that you know to be more extensive and more outdoors as i've said already that's what we're doing so that was already in the pipeline that's our shift over the next few years is to be more um, extensive and to build more biodiversity into our pastures and grazing swords so that's that's not something we're going to change overnight um yeah really how how much cash there is in the business could affect some decisions where later on in the year we've got some plans to you know to do certain things some things might have to go on hold but where we can if it's a long-term um sort of if it's a long-term spend then we'll go we'll go ahead with it anyway so i i don't know how much it'll change things i think you're right about engaging more with the customers i'm not saying we won't ever sell online and direct but i think that the key for us is supporting our retailers and hopefully that'll just strengthen the community anyway um, and I don't know, there'll be some really interesting things to come out of this. You know, the Cheese Geek uh, is the first, the first order we sent to Cheese Geek was a few weeks ago. And uh, we talked to him for a while and, and it just didn't, didn't happen. And, you know, within a few weeks, they ring back saying, we want some more. And, you know, that's great for us that we picked up in, the, in this crisis. There's a new customer there who wants to work with us. Um, and so, yeah, things like that, I guess, can happen. You know, yeah, where we can, we'll support a few more locals. I think we are getting a little few locals like a few cafes and takeaways have been in touch because they're just wanting to stop some a bit more locals. So there'll definitely be some positives. The long-term damage, well, I don't know, you know, if we haven't got rid of the animals, I guess that's a plus. And 
you know, if we carry on as we are. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's really difficult to look beyond. I think if it's September before things reopen, then, God, it's going to be a tough old gig. But, you know, those restaurants that we supply, those chefs, you know, what they're going to do with themselves between now and September. You know, I worry for those people and those businesses and that that'll take some starting up again, I think. So it's, it, but it does feel a little bit like it's outside of our control, doesn't it? You know? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a big certain... Big decisions about how long they're going to fill their wages for, you know, how they're going to step up and, and look after those businesses that slip through the net that aren't going to get support for one reason or another. You know, this is a... I heard yesterday say of a quite a big restaurant chain in London that, that went bankrupt on a friend of mine who's you know, supplied them with cheese... Uh, not with cheese, sorry, with um, you know, artisan produce and, and they're getting left on the hook there. So there will be some fallout from those businesses that don't make it. And I think that's all... That's 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 going to take some navigating for everyone in the business, you know? Um, but yeah, will, will it will give rise, rise to a few new cheeses? Yeah, I think there'll be other cheesemakers like us. I know that uh, I talked to Selena Cairns from Errington Cheese yesterday, and she was saying that, you know, they're having to make a bit more Coraline. And, you know, that that was um, sort of probably one of the best things to come out of a cheese crisis they had a few years ago was they made amazing two-year-old Coraline, not by design. Oh, it, it was absolutely extraordinary, that cheese. What a kind of, you know, what a silver lining that was. Really. So you can only hope that there's going to be more examples like that of little silver linings, you know, um, that, that come out of it, more of these hard-aged cheeses. Uh, uh, yeah, and, and as I say, a few new business models that either gather pace or, you know, even... Where you, I think Niels Yard said they were nine hundred and fifty percent up on the online sales um, last week. You know, and you and you wonder, well, will some of that continue uh, even when the restaurants reopen? You know, hopefully, some of those customers will be introduced to cheese that they've never had before. So that was Martin Gott there of St James Cheese. Uh, if you want to find out more about St James Cheese, go to Martin Gott on uh, Instagram. That's Martin Gott G O T. Uh, you can buy his cheese through the Courtyard Dairy, uh, sometimes I think through Neil's Yard. Um, but either way, seek it out, find it, eat it. It's delicious. I'll see you next time on the Salomon Podcast. The Salomon Podcast is produced by me, Sam Wilkin. If you want to know more about Salomon, go to Salomon Sam on Instagram and Twitter or check out the website salomon.co.uk.